Eagles Entertainment. Everything that move, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another day, we're getting you ready for Eagles Cardinals as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 511. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out where I chat with my buddy Ross Tucker as we talk through uh, a bunch of things in terms of like rookies and their usage and their developmental curves. We talk about uh, the run game. We talk about the screen game. A lot to talk about and a legendary story from Ross at the very top of the show, so you do not want to miss that. After that, we've got some analysis from our Eagles game plan crew. Greg Cosell, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, John Clark, they are all back to break down this Eagles-Cardinals matchup. Before we get going, I want to make sure, number one, head on over to the Eagles YouTube page. Check out uh, my All-22 review clip, uh, the, the segment that just went up uh, here on Wednesday morning. You don't want to miss that. My five top plays from my film study against the uh, in the Eagles win against the New York Giants. So make sure you go check that out over on the Eagles YouTube page. And as always, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. You guys know the spiel by now. Leave a question. We'll answer it here on an upcoming episode. That said, let's get to three and out with Ross Tucker. How about this for a start? They've got him again! What a defensive stop. Slay's second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three and out. All right, back again for another edition of Three and Out, my friend Ross Tucker, to talk through uh, a bunch of things on our mind here as the Eagles come out of the win over the New York Giants. They prepare for New Year's Eve day against the Arizona Cardinals. And Ross, uh, I petitioned the uh, the the audience, I petitioned our, our Twitter following for uh, some questions for you. And there were a bunch that came back a couple that had to do with some rookies. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to take, we're not going to be able to answer every single one of those questions, but I thought, let me kind of take this spin with you. Because this is a topic that I think you know all 32 fan bases deal with, right? Every single year, uh, and it's been a recurring theme over the years. Has been the developmental curve for a rookie, and why every single player is different. Because you see guys come in uh, sometimes at the same position group, and a guy might come in and he's ready to go day one, week one. He's a starter, and he was a fifth round pick. Uh, and then you look at a uh, a first round pick or a second round pick, and maybe they don't see the field all that much, or they only play a handful of snaps. What is it that makes a guy ready to go right away versus a guy that, uh, you know, doesn't mean he can't play, but, he, you know, you want to kind of work him in a little bit slowly uh, to get him going here in his first season? I love this topic. Um, I love this question. And I will say this, especially as it relates to the rookies the Eagles have this year, I think there's been a lot of really encouraging things. And that makes me feel really good about next year because now, my situation was a little bit different, Fran, and I was coming from the Ivy League and kind of a, sure. a lower level of college football. But, you know, my first year, you're realizing how fast everything happens in the NFL, just like the speed of every play and how quickly everything feels like it happens. And I don't want to say you're trying to hang on, but you're you're trying to get accustomed to it, right? And so I was pretty happy that I made the team and was there and kind of got used to it throughout the year. Just my mindset and my mentality going into my second year was so different. I mean, even for OTAs, 
I had done it for a year. Like there was no longer the awe of seeing Bruce Smith and Daryl Green and Big Daddy Wilkinson and LeVar Arrington. It's like I had practiced against these guys for a year and I felt like I was as good as anybody. Like I, you know, I felt like I could start. And so the fact that, you know, Jalen Carter is a little bit of a different animal, but the fact that the Eagles are getting this many snaps for Keely Ringo, for Sidney Brown, for Eli Ricks, I really feel like it's going to pay major dividends probably the rest of this year, but especially next year, Fran, where they now have some young DBs in the pipeline that 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 are getting meaningful snaps and making the most of it. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the college program you come from. It's one of the reasons why these guys are having the success that they're having coming from places like Alabama and Georgia, which I think is also why the Eagles get a lot of players from places like Alabama and Georgia. Um, and also there's a lot to be said about the position that you're playing, which I think is unique, right? Like Sidney Brown, they've moved him around a bunch. That can slow things down on the developmental curve for a rookie player because they can't just focus in on one spot. And the same thing for Nolan Smith. Heck, I was calling the game Monday for national radio, Fran. I see the Eagles in a 5-1, and their one off-the-ball linebacker is Nolan Smith. And even when he is playing off the edge this year and a lot of the snaps he's had, it's still a different defense than he was in in Georgia. So I think there's been a little bit more of a developmental curve for Nolan Smith as a result. Although we did see him do some really positive things on Monday. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. Obviously, the player themselves. How similar are the techniques that they're teaching on the NFL club that they taught in college? How similar is the position they're playing at the NFL level to what they were taught in college? You know, how many reps did they get in the preseason? How many reps are they getting in practice? You know, some guys, they're very skilled. The reason why they got drafted later or weren't drafted might have to do with height, weight, speed, but they're more ready to give you what they can give you now. Other guys like a Ringo, you know, have great height, weight, speed, but had some technique refinement that they needed to work on, which why is why it takes a little bit longer. So it's a, it's a great question. And the one thing I will add to this, Fran, you know, as an undrafted guy, I get frustrated at times by the amount of opportunities that some of these higher round picks, especially first rounders, sure. get. But you know what? It pays out. It pays off sometimes. I mean, like I couldn't believe the Broncos kept putting Garrett Bowles out there at left tackle. And the next thing you know, like his third or fourth year, he was playing good. You know, it's like sometimes you just have to give these guys, you have to be willing to give these guys that many reps if you really believe in them.
And, and that's the thing too, is I, I think that, you know, for the fans that are looking at this rookie class and obviously, you know, Jalen Carter came on like gangbusters right from the jump, you know, Nolan Smith has played, you know, a handful of snaps a game. So you have two first round picks where you're almost on like polar opposites of the spectrum. Sidney Brown has played a decent amount, uh, went on the field. Keely Ringo didn't see the field despite all of those DBs that had to play in the first half. We never saw Keely Ringo. And I know that there were a lot of people locally that were like, oh, like I must be in there. Ringo must not be bad or must not be good. He can't be an NFL player. If they're not putting him on the field yet. And then he gets on the field and he, you know, is showing some good things over these last couple of weeks. And obviously the jury's still out on him, you know, long term, obviously, as a rookie. But I think when you look at all of these guys, then look at the vets that are on this Eagles team. And you look at Josh Sweat, the first year he came in as a fourth round pick. It's basically a redshirt year, and he took. It wasn't until like year three where you really saw Josh Sweat become Josh Sweat. Great point, Jordan, Jordan Mylata. Year two, I remember that that second training camp, and his developmental curve was obviously much different uh, compared to every pretty much you know ninety nine point nine percent of NFL rookies. But his second training camp. He was off basically all the projected 53-man rosters. Everyone's like, oh, you can't. This guy's not an NFL player. Like He's getting beat by Joe Osman every single day in practice. Uh, you, you look up and down, and there are examples of guys that, you know, and it might be the other side of the coin. Avante Maddox is a rookie fourth-round pick. He came in and he was playing as a rookie right in the, right away in the slot in the slot right and so I think when you look at all of these guys it's going to be a little bit different but you kind of have to let the process play out you know people were really to write Brandon Graham off and say that was a, that he was a bust he should have taken JPP he should have taken Earl Thomas you know there's all of those uh, different kind of examples on this roster and I think you have to kind of look at this uh, rookie class and kind of treat it that same way let me ask you really one quickly one quick question because we talked about this a little bit uh, with Ike Reese in the post game show. Everyone talks about like your rookie moment. Oh, you're welcome to the NFL moment when you got embarrassed. Did you have a moment though where, because you mentioned like you weren't starstruck by Big Daddy Wilkinson and LeVar Arrington and those guys. Do you have a moment that is like still, still, still sticks with you where you realize like, yeah, like I belong here, right? Or, like, was there a moment or did that just kind of gradually happen over your rookie year? Great question. And two, two parts of that. Number okay. one, and I think I think our listeners can appreciate this, Fran, especially coming from the Ivy League. I had built up like the NFL guys, even like, you know, the Power Five guys so much in my head that the first mini camp for me, I remember thinking, gosh, I thought they'd be better. Right. And nobody says that. Right. But it's like a movie and like your expectations. My expectations were so high. That I got there, I was like, okay, they're all definitely bigger than the guys I'm used to. And they're all definitely faster than the guys I'm used to. But they're still human beings. You know right. what I mean? Like, they're not, like, they're still human beings. They're not. Because I remember working out that week, they were going to move me to tackle. I had uh, the freshman DNs at Princeton line up a yard off sides. <laughs> so I could work and get ready for that. And I guess... I felt pretty good after that first mini camp that I belonged. Yeah. But I guess my kind of welcome to the NFL, you can do this moment. My first one on ones. Okay? okay. Keep in mind, I played guard in college. And you hated one on ones. But because I was we, tall. We yes. Yeah. yeah. Because I was tall, they put me at right tackle. Yep. And there was an injury. So I'm second string right tackle. I'm getting second string reps. So my one-on-ones are against LeVar Arrington. And you have to understand, like, Pennsylvania legend. To this right. day, maybe the most gifted athlete I've ever been around. Right? Just unbelievably gifted. So I was so worried about his speed, Fran. I kicked out so fast at tackle. He came up and under. 
and basically beat me clean inside, which is like a cardinal sin for an offensive tackle, yep. right? Like you cannot get beat clean inside. So I'm like, okay. So the next time I'm like, can't do it. So I I set on him again because you do back to back reps. Yep. Set on him again, but I'm a little bit more conservative this time. Like I'm not going to get beat inside. He comes with the same move, up and under inside move, and I'm there. I'm ready for it. And I like stone him, and he's not messing around. He puts his head in my chest. But we have no shoulder pads on. It's just right. helmets on. Yep. Mini cam. Right. And and he's like bull rushing me. And and all I could get, I'm like a fish out of water, right? You know, he's knocking me back. The only thing I got my hand on, and I don't know if I've told you a story before or not, but was his throat, my right hand on his throat. And I squeezed as hard as I could. Like, I tried to rip his Adam's apple out like it was Indiana Jones. Yeah. And the last <laughs> mistake, yeah, right. the heart. Like, I was trying to rip the, his Adam's apple out. And so he finally like stopped. And so it's where I realized I belonged. And not that I didn't already know this, but A, I, I won the rep and beat him. But B, he was willing to go ab above the line with bull rushing me, which you're not supposed to do in that setting. Mm. And I was willing to go above that line as well Stand by choking it, yeah. him and trying sure. to rip his, rip his throat out, right? So just a sidebar to the story. The whole rest of the practice, LeVar is going up to people and pointing at me. Like <laughs> Errol Green, Kennard Lang, Big Daddy Wilkinson, Bruce Smith. And I'm thinking, what? It's my first practice in the NFL. I haven't even graduated from college yet. I'm 22. And I'm thinking, uh, I don't know if this is real good. Week after practice, we get into the locker room. And I have one of the bad uh, lockers in the middle yep. for the undrafted guys that they don't think sure. are going to make the team. And I look, because he was the number two pick in the draft, LeVar's locker is right next to the shower. And I look down there, and he's talking with, uh, I, I don't remember who it was, and he's pointing at me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, now I'm like, don't have a helmet and shoulder pads on anymore. He still seems like he's mad to me. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, so like, so I get my towel and I'm walking towards the shower and he looks at me and he doesn't even know my name, but he goes, yo, Princeton. And I was like, yeah, he said, go for my throat and stuff. Huh? He didn't say stuff. Fran. Right. Yeah. yeah right. I literally friend I'm naked. I have the towel in my left hand and in my right hand, my fist is balled up. Yeah, you're right. Cause yeah. I can all get remember my grandpa saying like, always throw the first punch at your best chance. Right. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm thinking I'm a dead man regardless, like dead man walking into the shower. Like this is okay. This is the NFL. All right. You go over my throat and stuff. Huh? And I said, yeah, Fran, he got the biggest smile I've ever seen. Puts out his hand for a fist bump and says, I like that. <laughs> and he gave me a fist bump. And what I like the lesson was like at any job you have in life, figure out what it takes to earn respect and earn it. And uh I earned his respect by being willing to try to squeeze his throat and rip his Adam's apple out. And that's what he was telling me. I, like, I didn't realize if he was going to say, I'm going to kill that kid. Or, I didn't know what he was saying. Right. But he said, yo, that kid, that kid's got something to him. He just tried to rip my Adam's apple out. So 
Uh, that was my welcome to the NFL moment, friend. Uh, and I feel like uh, there's some there's some kind of analogy to be said there with like you having your finch your your fist clenched and being ready to either throw the first punch or just give him a fist bump back. Like so, there's something there. I don't have the brain power at the moment to uh, to come up with that analogy, but that's awesome. Uh, I'm really glad that uh, you were able to share that story. Let's get into uh, to your second topic. What do you got here? I, I want to talk about RPOs versus call it and run it. Okay. Yep. And so I think most, if they're listening to this show, first of all, they know how phenomenal you are. Secondly, they know um, what RPOs are, run pass option, right? And so it's interesting, Fran, there's a balance there between a call it and run it play, which, for example, would be like we're running inside zone, and no matter what, Jalen Hurts is handing the ball to DeAndre Swift, right? No matter what. Because they, they want to run the ball. They want to run that play to call it and run it. Some of the options off of it could be it could be a zone read where Hurts can pull the ball based on what the end man in the line of scrimmage does and, and take it himself. It could be more of an RPO where Hurts could be eyeing the backside linebacker and based on what he does, Maybe throw the ball to the tight end in the flat. Maybe throw the slant backside, whatever. It's interesting because there are times where I feel like quarterbacks make the wrong read, and that gets frustrating for me. Especially when it looks like if they had just given the ball, there was there was a pretty good run to be had there. And so from an offensive line standpoint, Fran, that frustrates me. Sure. But as a coach you're really trying to get into the best play possible. And you're really trying to give your guys as many options to be successful as possible, which is why I think you see so many tags. You see so many RPOs. Sometimes the tag is just like a smoke, which is a bubble screen away from the run to the receiver with maybe one tight end or one receiver out there to block him which the Eagles did a bunch against the Seahawks not very successfully. And so I think that's a really interesting conversation. I don't think there's a right answer to it. And I think it's something that all coaching staffs have to discuss amongst themselves. And I've heard Sirianni talk about this. How many times do we want to have the quarterback making a choice here and hope that he makes the best choice for us versus how often should we go ahead and just give the ball to our running back or just call it and run it. And I and I think it depends on a lot of things, but largely, Fran, I think it depends on how good your quarterback is at making the right read and putting you in the in the play call that gives you guys a schematic advantage. Sure. And certainly some quarterbacks are better at that than others. And Jalen Hurts has proven over the course of his career, not just in the NFL, but uh, in college as well for two different, three different offenses, really, uh, that he played in in college that, you know, he's got that ability to be able to, to make those kind of reads. And I think at the end of the day, you know, there's certainly something to be said for a, you know what we're just gonna we're, let's let's just call counter let's just call power let's just call inside zone uh, if not only to, hey we're gonna make sure that this is gonna be a run play but then also 
it's nice to be able to give your quarterback like a little bit, like a, even like a 30 second, like mental, uh, mental break where he does not have to make a read on a play and he could just, uh, you know, kind of turn around and hand the ball off. Um, but to your point that you made there, you're always trying to make sure like, Hey, you know what? And that's why coaches refer to uh, these kind of plays as an extension of the run game. If we call uh, inside zone, right. And they come out in a loaded box and you've got one-on-one on the outside with a, against a, uh, a corner that's playing eight yards off the ball and just throwing the smoke screen will give you, you know, five yards, six yards. Well, that would be a successful run play. Let's just do that. Uh, and I, so I think that, um, you know, and that's a little bit different than, oh, you know, we're going to call our RPO with a slide route and, and a, uh, you know, and a wheel and a, and a slant route. And then there's a lot more that goes into reading that play as opposed to uh, just a, a quick little now screen. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you're, you're trying to push all of those buttons, and the Eagles certainly have all of those uh, those uh, tools at their disposal, right? They, they have shown that they will run all of those different kinds of, uh, whether they're leverage throws, whether they're RPOs, whether they're sight adjusts. I mean, they've got all of that uh, in their offensive arsenal, and so, um, you know, we've certainly seen that not just this year, uh, but over the last couple of years as well with this offense. And so, uh, you look around the league, obviously, it's in vogue, and it's not a, that's not even like a new age NFL thing. I mean, we, you know, we've heard, we, Brett, Brett Favre was throwing, uh, uh, you know, the, those kind of smoke routes. And you were talking about that as being a part of uh, offenses you played in as well. You know, just having that in your bag, I think is important. Yeah. If it's a free, if it's called an access throw, if you yep. feel like they're giving you a free five or six yards, take you it. should take that. Yep. You should take that. Cause by the way, it could be more, right? You break one tackle. It could be more. There's the, the, the thought process is the downside is four or five yards. Whereas the upside is more than that. All right. Well, this is uh, somewhat related here. We got, uh, like I said, I <clears throat> put out for some questions on Twitter. Uh, we got a bunch of responses back. Obviously, you can only answer one uh, within this segment. But uh, if you ever want your question answered, the best way to do that, by the way, is to go on an Apple podcast and leave it there in the comment section. That's a guarantee that we will answer it here on the show. Uh, but Coach Greg Meehan uh, from out west, uh, uh, Ross, uh, out of the, uh, the University of Stanford, Greg Meehan, stand, uh, reach out. What do we need to do differently in the screen game to be more effective? So when you look at uh, the Eagles screen game, um, you know that, that has been a point of uh, discussion uh, with the fans, with the media over the last, uh, we'll say, a couple of months or so. Um, you know the the volume of screens, and we've talked about that in the past. You know the Eagles are actually like middle of the pack when it comes to uh, wide receiver screens from a volume standpoint. But what do they need to do differently to improve in the screen game? I know this was a topic that I feel like you could touch on as a former alignment. Yeah. So first of all, I would say I'd like to see more traditional tight end running back screens with the offensive lineman out in front and less quick wide receiver screens. I think teams are doing a pretty good job leveraging and attacking some of the wide receiver screens. And I'd like to see them do some more traditional running back and tight end screens like to Goddard. So a traditional screen, it's 1,001, 1,002, and then you let your guy go, and then you get out in front. And because the Eagles have guys like Jason Kelsey and Cam Jurgens, they should be elite. Like, they have elite space blockers. I mean, do you see, like, the play – where Jurgens just threw Okereke yes, twice, like awesome, awesome. I love Jurgens. So the, I'm surprised the Eagles don't run more of those to slow down opposing defensive lines, 
And to take advantage of that, it seems like they run a lot of these wide receiver bubble screens or even like a tunnel screen where you have Mylotta coming out there. You really need to get really good blocking from the receivers for those to work, like the bubble screens, right? And there are times where it's like they're throwing to Goddard and Devontae Smith's trying to block. I'll give Devontae Smith credit. Like, he gives it everything he has. But sometimes it's just physics. I mean, sometimes, like, if the corner reads it well, and I think actually the Eagles run them so often that it feels like the DBs for the other teams, Fran, have a pretty good beat on when they're doing it, and they've been jumping it pretty good and, and attacking the blocker pretty effectively. Yeah, and I think that that's one big thing when you look at uh, this offense right now is you know just trying to find that consistency and screens. Um, you know they can be fickle because you're calling you know two or three in a game maybe, and if one of them hits and you're like oh you feel really really good, uh, the Eagles had a couple that were successful plays uh, in this past game, and even that could have even been more right. I mean there were a couple where uh, there were wide receiver screens where if the receiver cuts inside instead of cutting it back outside, now all of a sudden like and, and that can be tough right because you're running right into the teeth of the defense. But uh, in terms of how the blocks are set up uh you know they, they could have been even more but then you also have you know you mentioned the Seattle game or the, they they struggled to get uh some of those screens off the ground so i think from a timing standpoint certainly uh and then from a design standpoint uh you know there, there are certainly areas that they can improve well ross uh this has been great once again really enjoyed the uh the uh, lavar Arrington story i'm glad you were able to squeeze that in thanks so much for joining us again and we'll talk to you next week my pleasure friend thank you so much for having me always love it Great stuff there from Ross. Thanks so much to him. And let's get now to our Eagles game plan crew. I mentioned earlier, Greg Cosell, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, John Clark. Extra analysis. Couldn't quite squeeze it into the show this week, but here it is for you. Let's go to our Eagles game plan crew for some extra analysis. Greg, I know they've beaten Dallas. They beat Denver, the Steelers. So we know that this team can play. But when you look at Nick Rollis, and we know the defensive coordinator from his time in Philadelphia, yeah. What generally, what are they trying to do? What does he try to take away? Because most good D coordinators, yeah. they want to take something away. What is it philosophically that they try and do? Well, I think with that look and the way they get into different things, Q, from that look, is they're just trying to slow down the processing of the quarterback. And the other thing with the five-man D line is you're not sure if five are coming or which four are coming. They can be multiple with their front looks as well. The problem they've had all year is at the corner position. And that's why there have been some big numbers put up in the passing game, because outside the numbers, they struggle. They just don't have really quality corners. They're starting Antonio Hamilton and Starling Thomas right now on the outside. And those are guys you can go after. But they're trying to sort of massage that a little bit by just creating some different looks for quarterbacks. Yeah, G, you can definitely tell they're they're sort of doing this with a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Yep. And you got to give Jonathan Gannon a lot of credit for trying to get the most out of the talent that they have over there. Their pass defense is probably their best facet of their defense, but I look at their run game and they seem to be struggling in that yeah. area. One of the worst teams, if not the worst team, versus the run in the league. Is this an area the Eagles can exploit? Yeah, I think so. And we saw what the Eagles did. I mean, look what they did against the Giants, where on that final drive, they had seven consecutive swift runs. Maybe the run game is coming back. They played a lot out of two tight ends. So we'll see if that's something that the Eagles feel they can exploit. You're going to see a lot of 5-1 fronts 
from the cards. That's something they do an awful lot of. So they're going to have that five-man front, and you have to block that. But there's no question they have struggled against the run. And it's okay to run the football, man. And I think it's complimentary football. Look how well yes. the passing game operated as well in that game. Jalen, 300 yards, I believe, threw on the football. We saw explosive plays in the passing game as well. It's about playing complimentary football. And sure. I love the fact that even when it wasn't working early in the game, the running game I'm speaking of, we were still committed to imploring it in our offensive scheme. So if we can continue to do that, that's going to bode well for us as we continue on. And I thought last week was a very good game for Dallas Goddard. I think he led the team in targets. And when he becomes a factor in the offense, as a defense, you have to account for in between the hashes. He has soft hands, made some great catches near the sideline. When Dallas Goddard is a part of this passing offense, it's going to be easy to get those guys going on the outside as well. And how about Britton Covey making a Pro Bowl push as a punt returner? He set them up for their first touchdown. How much has he been a spark this year in the return game? He's been a great spark. It's that third phase of your team that you want to provide some sort of assistance to the team. We know how automatic Jake Elliott is as a special teams field goal kicker. but to have And kickoff returns are almost eliminated from the game, so you have to take that out. But the punt return game is an area that if you have a small Smart returner back there, a fearless returner back there, and somebody that will take care of the football, there's going to be plays to be had. And Britton has been close all year long to breaking one. Finally broke one last week. He may be getting close to getting in the end zone, man. <laughs> Come on, Q. He's getting close to getting in the end zone. He's getting close, but I think the decision-making by Covey has been excellent all year long. The one that he caught on the run on the sideline, really smart decision because that ball has a tendency to hit and just continue down the field. Well, he scoops it up. He returned for about uh, about 13 yards. Not a huge return, but it sets up your offense. When you're able to do that, set up your offense with a short field, you're in a good space. I'm going to point this out. You have to be fearless to be back there as a punt returner. I, I wouldn't for, do that job. I blocked for, for <laughs> some pretty good returners. Brian Mitchell, Brian Westbrook, Alan Rawson, yeah. all made pro bowlers. And the one thing they all had in common being back there is that they knew when to go get that football and not let it bounce. I think Brent Covey, that area of his game has grown, and that's what's going to make him a dangerous returner as he moves forward. Ike, if I was a punt returner, when the ball comes off the punter's foot, I would do this. (laughs) Fair catch. I would fair catch. I would not return punts. All right, and when you look at the Eagles' secondary and some of the things and the moving parts, how impressed have you been with Keeley Ringo playing on the outside? He had five tackles against the Giants, defense some passes. Yeah, and I look at Keeley Ringo as a young player. I go along with some of these other young players that Matt Patricia has played over the past couple of weeks. Eli Riggs, Sidney Brown getting a little more time out there. But Keeley, you look at his progression over the three games, starting in the Dallas game where he had to come in, had a couple rough penalties there that sort of led to some points, and then how he bounced back, the Seattle game. And then to this game, he's gotten better each game. Yeah. Confidence didn't waver after what happened on national TV against the Cowboys. Comes back the following week, has the assignment of covering DK Metcalf alone at times. Didn't blink there. And then last week versus the Giants, coming up with his first interception. This guy was a big-time player at Georgia, so he's used to making big plays. And I, and I know what that feeling is like, and I'm sure you do, Q, as well. And you got your first touchdown. When you get that first big play as a defensive player, where it's an interception or a sack, yeah. you feel like, yes, yeah. I am That's right. I am worthy of playing at this level and playing against these guys. So getting that game ceiling interception last week against the Giants, 
that's going to bode well for his confidence moving forward. You don't know what to do with that happened. He was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> he threw the ball down. Shaq Leonard had to go get the football for him just so that he has his keepsake. But you're exactly right. He's playing so well now. He's getting more and more confident and more comfortable playing. I think it really starts with practice because if you listen to the veteran players, they were talking about how well he's played in practice and how much he deserved to be on the field. So we're starting to see more. We're starting to see the growth of a lot of these young players that in the future, they're going to be the team. And how about Hassan Reddick? He hit the Giants quarterbacks four times. We're waiting for that Eagles defensive line to kind of take over. And we saw Hassan, the D-line, starting to get a little more pressure. Do you think they're going to, down the stretch here, last couple games, round up the pressure? Yeah, I know this was a game they were all pretty much looking forward to. The Giants had struggled to protect their quarterbacks. Vito, 35 sacks in just his few starts that he's had the last few weeks of the season. We got close a couple times. You said the pressures didn't get them to the ground. You know, DeVito and Tyrod Taylor, very elusive quarterbacks. They know how to extend plays. So it's always difficult to get those guys on the ground. Kyler Murray won't be any different. Right. The smaller target to hit, use, likes to use his legs. But we played him last year. And I think Hassan had a couple sacks against Arizona last year, if I remember out there. So trying to bottle up Kyler Murray and making sure you can keep him confined. The sacks will come, and when they start to come, they'll come in bunches. I just think you have to keep him in the pocket. He's a short guy, and if you keep him in the pocket and he's throwing, like, out of a well, you you keep those big bodies around him, and a guy that's short, he's got to feel like he's throwing the ball out of a well. So it's difficult to do. And Hassan Reddick right now is playing great football. It's hard to block him. I like the pressures that he had, but the one play that stood out to me was that stop on Saquon Barkley where he slides inside just before the snap. He gets inside the the edge of their offense and stopped him for a big fourth down stop, turned the football over to the Eagles. That Hassan Reddick, I want to see more of that. Remind me of a couple plays he made against the Dolphins, I believe. Very similar when he got big stops in the backfield against Mostert. I'm still picturing Kyler Murray throwing out of a well. That was good. I like that. And again, be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally on Saturdays across all Eagles digital channels. Or if you live here locally in the Philadelphia area, Sunday morning, NBC 10 at 10 a.m. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan crew. Thanks to them and thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our X's and O's content here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Care Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.